This is the Eggship Podcast. I'm Patrick Mayhorn. I'm the creator of the Eggship. It's a credentialed outlet covering Utah State football, men's basketball, and women's basketball for $6 a month. Go to www.theagship.com to learn more and to subscribe. Uh, not going to give you the sell this week. You know what it is. If you don't, uh, welcome aboard. Go check it out. It is good stuff. I would appreciate it. A ton of posts up this week on all three of the teams currently in action for Utah State, the football team, which I'm going to be uh, quickly previewing here today. I say quickly because I want to get this up and uh, listenable before the game actually happens. I'm recording this on Saturday early afternoon. The game is, of course, at 7.45 Mountain Time, so I'm going to try and keep this quick and concise. Uh, but there are stories on the football team, written versions of stories on the football team up on the site. There are women's basketball stories. Just put up a preview for their game, which is going to be starting here uh, momentarily uh, against Arkansas State. And then also, of course, stories on the men's basketball team, which has gotten off to a very, very good start, improved to 4-0 with an overtime win over San Diego. There is a game notebook up about that game right now that you can go read. Uh, again, $6 a month, www.com. Uh, that's not the site, www.theagship.com. Uh, you got to put the stuff in between www and .com usually. Um, so go check it out. If you were not already subscribed, I would love to have you. So San Jose State enters this game at six and three. Utah State is five and five, looking to get to six wins and bowl eligibility. It's Mountain West hopes have been dashed with Colorado State losing to Wyoming and Boise State, uh, I mean, throttling Nevada last week. Uh, Wyoming and Boise State are essentially going to be playing for the Mountain Division title uh, today, Saturday, as I record this. Uh, but Utah State is no longer in the running, will not be able to repeat as champions with the chance to uh, to to defend its its championship from last season. But like I said, still has a chance to go bowling, still has a chance to finish 7-5, and five, even if it can win out against San Jose State and Boise State. The second game is one that we will, uh, it's a bridge we will cross when we get to it. For now, the team of focus is the San Jose State Spartans, uh, coming off of a, I want to say a loss to San Diego State, if memory serves. I think it was a loss to San Diego State was the most recent game. I might be remembering incorrectly, but regardless, good team, bowl eligible, still technically a contender in the West Division, although not by not by much. They, they are going to need a lot of help, including two Fresno State losses and a San Diego State loss, but they are still technically in the running. Um, good team. Good team has a lot of things in common with the 2020 conference championship team under head coach Brent Brennan. A lot of defenders are still here from that very good defense from 2020. Uh, the defense here is still very good. It is it is just as good, if not better, than it was in 2020. The offense has taken a step back, but this is still um, a pretty serious opponent. This is a uh, th this is one of the better teams I think on Utah State's schedule. One of the better teams it will have played to this point in the season. And as I wrote in both the preview standard and the film preview, I think that Utah State will need to deliver one of its best games of the season to. Uh, get a win here and to uh, head into the final week with bowl eligibility locked up with a 6-5 and five record, which is where they would certainly like to be. I don't think that Utah State wants to be playing for a bowl bid at Boise State in the final week of the season. That is not... Uh, that's not a great place to be, and it's not uh, it's not impossible. It's not that that can't happen, that you can't win that kind of game, but it's just not where you want to be if you're Utah State. You'd like to get it done ahead of time. This is a good chance to do it. 
I will start with San Jose State's offense, position by position. The quarterback is Chevin Cordero, who you would know from his time at Hawaii. He was a multi-year starter at Hawaii. Uh, always capable, always, you know, pretty pretty decent, but never really went beyond that. Um, he was He was pretty limited within the system that they were running there. Uh, did a lot of work with his feet, did a lot of work on the ground. He was a decent passer, but it never really felt like it grew into anything more than that at Hawaii. And I think that he was limited certainly by the people, the the players around him, and then also the coaches around him. Um, and that has uh, borne out a bit this season because we have seen, uh, we, we have seen, uh, you know, improvement we have seen him start to show a little bit more potential we've seen him start to uh thrive within this offense that is pass heavy that features its wide receivers prominently that likes to set up easy throws for the quarterback underneath to get yards after the catch opportunities largely to tight end slot receivers and running backs but then also features plenty of downfield shots be it across the middle or to the sidelines intermediate to downfield shots to a pair of very good outside receivers who I will talk about in just a second but Cordero is I think pretty good I think he's a pretty good player I I think that he has proven this season that he is at least a capable Mountain West level starter an upper end Mountain West level starter he's a good runner he is good with his feet they've not used it quite as much this season but he is capable of extending plays and, and making things happen in the backfield when he probably shouldn't be able to make things happen in the backfield um, good enough passer arm does not uh, it doesn't jump off the page or anything but it is it is decent enough he is capable as a passer he can get the job done within this offense and do what they need him to do to keep the offense moving, to keep it on pace. The passing attack does pace this offense, which is interesting. You would think that they might run it more or run it better than they do, and their actual designed rushing attack is solid. It's fine. They don't use it as much as they maybe should, honestly, in my opinion, but they uh, they do run the ball pretty well when they're actually trying to. However, their rushing stats have been suppressed a little bit this season by the fact that Cordiero, for all of his ability in making plays out of the backfield and creating from from where there was once nothing in, in scrambling to make plays, he does have a tendency to run himself into sacks. Uh, Blake Anderson talked about this this week. Uh, Utah State has not been able to convert pressures into sacks uh, through this through this point of the season. We have seen a lot of pressures. We just saw a ton of pressures against Hawaii and two sacks. We've seen a lot of games like that. You know, 15-plus pressures and one or two sacks. And it, it is you know, any number of things causing that. I think that a a desire to blitz maybe more than is actually necessary is maybe a, uh, is maybe a part of it, leaving cornerbacks on islands that they are just not, it's just not fair to ask them to do that uh, without help underneath to prevent very quick passes across the middle. That has been my read on the situation is that uh, Utah State should probably be leaning more on safeties and linebackers for help across the middle, for help with those cornerbacks in coverage and man coverage, than it should be using them as blitzers. But it's it's hard to go away too much from, from what you know. And Efren Bonda has made a career around blitzing, has made a career around five-man pressures. And so he is not keen to go away from that. And I, I understand I understand completely that that is probably not a realistic ask, not a realistic thing to expect to change. But I do think that this defensive line is good enough at creating pressure on its own that it really doesn't need the extra help as often as it has got it. And that has been sort of my 
primary diagnosis that I have been working with for the lack of sacks for this defense is that the cornerbacks in the backfield do not have they don't have enough help underneath to prevent very quick passes across the middle that can bail quarterbacks out of pressure situations. You saw this constantly in the Hawaii game. Um, this has been an issue all season for for Utah State. It's, it's a very common problem in college football. And I, I think that in this game specifically, I would not mind seeing a little bit more conservative play, uh, play calling from the, from the defensive front, specifically on the, on the, the blitzing. Um, I think you can get pressure against this team with four, and I don't think that you need to be leaving guys like Andre Grayson or Michael Anyanwu on islands uh, out, outside without help across the middle because you wanted to bring a linebacker or, or two linebackers in on, on pressure looks. I don't think that the rushing attack here is good enough to merit run blitzing a whole lot, and I, I don't think that you need... The pass, I don't think you need the extra pass rush, basically. I think that Daniel Greshik, Patrick Joyner, and uh, Byron Vaughns are good enough to beat a pair of redshirt freshman offensive tackles that San Jose State has and has uh, seen a lot of struggles from this season. And essentially, if you can flush, uh, if you can flush Cordero out, it's anybody's game. You're going to have to rally to the ball. But yeah, that's, that's another benefit to having linebackers dropping into short zones is that Oh, they're there. They're there to rally to the ball when Cordero leaves. I think that that honestly is probably more likely to be a part of the game plan than a a sense of like trying to get better coverage help for cornerbacks. The result is the same, but I, I could see Utah State backing into a solution here by spying Cordero and and that just sort of being an extra help for defending those underneath passes that have uh, vexed them at times this season. Which is a it's a roundabout way to get there, but it counts the same, you know, it, it all, it all spends the same. It's, it's, uh, you know, stops are stops and, and it doesn't really matter how you actually go about getting there. Um, elsewhere on the offense, I mentioned the wide receivers out wide. The names to know are Elijah cooks, who is a Nevada transfer. He is the leading receiver for San Jose state this season in receptions, in yards, in touchdowns, 6'4", 215 pound graduate senior. The easiest comparison that I can make is not a direct comparison. It is not a, a full obvious fit. I think that there are issues with this comparison, but the easiest comparison that I can make is to Torrey Horton, another for, a former teammate of his at Nevada. They were coached by the same wide receivers coach, obviously at Nevada, uh, both big bodied guys, but who, who, who move better than you would expect for their size, who run good routes, who are a lot more dynamic than just a deep threat, which is sometimes what guys this size are used for. He's big. He's 6'4", 215. Like I said, he's physical. He can go win those deep battles, and when they do throw down the field, it's usually to him, but he is not without his route tree. He can run curls. He can run comebacks. He can go across the middle. He can do all these things that Torrey Horton can do. Is that good news for Utah State? I don't know. They shut down Torrey Horton. They're the only team all season to shut down Torrey Horton, but San Jose State's passing attack is better. It's better than, than Colorado State's is. It's more dangerous. It's more difficult to key on one guy. And so I'm not sure that it is... Uh, you don't want to play a receiver this good. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say. I don't think that there's any... I don't think that there's a way to to swing it that uh, playing against really good receivers is better than not playing against them, even if Utah State had success against Torrey Horton. Um, that will be something to monitor in this game is uh, who is taking on Elijah Cooks and are they able to handle the task? Are they up to the task of guarding him? 
him of of covering him and uh, probably a lot of man coverage is there an interest in shading him in some spots and doubling him in some spots utah state was very aggressive on tory horton i'm curious if we will see the same approach here um i don't have a definitive answer i don't know yet i'm interested to see uh on the other side outside receiver the number two receiver for this team in receptions and yards is justin lockhart 6'2 200 pound sophomore um he is i want to say not a transfer if memory serves maybe he is i don't they've got so many transfers at, at wide receiver he might be another nevada transfer actually i think he might be um it's lockhart and then jermaine braddock is the other listed outside receiver but he is actually the starting slot receiver here after charles ross who came into the season as the projected starter and started to to open the year uh he has been hurt and jermaine braddock has stepped in to the slot he is a good underneath threat that's pretty much all they use him for is an underneath threat screen stuff uh drags slants uh outs things of that nature it's the 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 slot route tree basically um lockhart meanwhile on the outside is a pretty good possession guy he's not amazing he's not really lit it up this season he's a decent enough deep threat if you need him but He's not frequently relied on for that role. He can get the job done for you. He is a competent Mountain West starter, but he is not anything beyond that. I don't think he's just a sophomore also at this point. There's there's still plenty of time for that to change for him to become a more well-rounded and dangerous receiver. I think that by the time he is Cooks' age, he will be very, very good. But for right now, he is just capable. He's a good player to have, but he is not really anything to worry too much about. I, I don't know what the direct comparison would be. There are a million players like this. He's fine. He's a fine receiver. He's a big enough body that he's worth worrying about. Uh, he will be the number two cornerback's assignment, so I, I would guess that this will fall to Andre Grayson, uh, and uh, I, I think that he can probably handle that, but if Utah State is really keying on locking down Cooks, I think that Lockhart and uh, Braddock could both be f- focused on pretty heavily within this offense as San Jose State looks elsewhere to find targets. Um, Braddock, uh, on the other hand, I don't think is going to have a whole lot going against Ike Larson. I think that Ike Larson is a better player than he is. I, th- I, th- I think Larson largely is going to be able to handle himself. Uh, he has handled a lot of the slot assignments. He will take on tight ends as needed. He will take on running backs as needed. All three will be needed in this game, and I think that he will handle that job very well. Uh, at tight end to round out the receiving core is Sam Olson, 6'4", 225 junior, and Dominic Mazzotti, 6'4", 250 junior. Interestingly enough, Mazzotti is the one who they use more as a receiver. Olson's a very good blocker, but they have not thrown to him a whole lot. I think he has 11 receptions on the season, whereas Mazzotti's up at 23, 21 or 23, I think. Uh, he's the leading receiver of the tight ends. He is used as a as a tight end would be. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's a whole lot to, uh, to elaborate on there. He's, he think about what a tight end does usually in a stereotypical spread offense. He does that. He, he's, you know, short yardage stuff. And then he'll go over the middle, uh, down the field as needed. He is, they're fine. They're both fine tight ends. Neither of them are all conference level or anything like that, but they're good players, good blockers, physical bodies will be worth paying attention to. Um, Utah State, and I, I cannot speak to this. I do not know if he is if he's going to be playing or not. But Utah State would really, really like to have MJ Tafisi in this game because then it can put AJ Vongpachan on the tight ends and and have him have him handle those coverage assignments, which he's been really good about this season. Uh, without Tafisi, I'm not sure that Utah State would want to leave 
either of the freshman linebackers alone with Vong Pachon focusing on pass coverage, which I think, I think has been another one of the issues in recent weeks with the open stuff underneath is the lack of MJ Tafisi uh, and the comfort that Utah State had in him as a run stuffer, just standing in there and making plays in the middle of the field. Without that guy there... There's more of a feeling of, of need to leave A.J. Vongfachan in and to use him as a pass rusher, to use him to try and stuff the run, to bring him up closer to the line, rather than having him help in coverage, which is where he's been best this season. Um, and I think that that has absolutely been a, a, a damaging factor. Utah State would really, really benefit from having M.J. Tafisi here. I don't know if they're going to. I, 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 don't, I can't speak to that. He has been day-to-day. Uh, I have not seen anything that... Uh, that indicates otherwise to this point. I think that he is more, I think he's a lot more likely to play this week than he was last week, which sounds obvious, but I'm not just saying that because he's had another week of, of, uh, of, of, of recovery time. I think that this is a much more important and much more serious game for Utah state than the Hawaii game was not to say that they weren't taking it seriously, but if you're going to arrest a guy, you do it then and not now essentially. Uh, so I, I think that there's a better chance of Tafisi playing this week, but again, I can't speak to it. I don't know for sure. Um, rounding out the San Jose State offense is running back Kyrie Robinson, 5'8", 200-pound senior. He is good. He's not used a whole lot, but he is good when he is used. He averages about 4.6 yards per carry. He is physical, quick, good change of direction. Um, he's, he looks a lot like a Mountain West running back. A lot of the guys in the Mountain West this season play like he does. Uh, Calvin Tyler Jr. is a, is a, a, a you know a good example, chief, chief among that group. Um, Robinson is a lot like that. They play very similarly. I think Tyler's probably a little bit faster, but Robinson is more involved in the passing attack, and ultimately the production uh, advantage goes to Tyler because of the offense that he plays in. But Robinson is a very capable player. You will see him plenty. I think you might even see him more than usual, more than their standard, because it is supposed to be very cold and because teams have had a lot of success running on Utah State recently. And if MJ Tafisi is not in the game, if San Jose State comes out and sees 33 or 40 on the field next to 10 instead of two, they're going to run the ball a lot, I think. I, I, I think that that is probably going to be a pretty major part of the game plan is that you can run on this defense pretty well when they have one of the freshman linebackers in the game. And those guys are getting better every week, but they are not on MJ Tafisi's level. He's one of the best linebackers in the conference, and, and Utah State has has sorely, sorely missed him. So other side of the ball, you have another, you have uh, the best linebacker in the conference here, but I'll get to him in just a second. Uh, on the defensive line, it's familiar faces. Cade Hall, graduate senior, 6'3", 270 pounds, opposite Junior Fihoko, 6'4", 263 Junior, and then on the inside is Lando Gray or um, uh, Soane, Soane, I... I I don't know. I'm trying my best. Uh, Toya, uh, who those are your two nose tackles. Neither of them are, are hugely impactful for the defense. They they play their roles. Gray is much more of a space filler, can take up two or three blocks at a time. Uh, Toya is, is more likely to get to the passer, more likely to make plays on the on the actual ball and the ball carrier is more tackles. Uh, you'll see both. They do a lot of three man fronts, but they will shift into four as needed. Uh, the four can either be a second defensive tackle with both of these guys on the field, or it could be a stand up linebacker like, uh, Ali Matau, who is used basically as their edge rusher. He'll stand down. He'll come down, stand on the line. They use him plenty in that role. Uh, they've done a little bit of that as well with um, Brian Parham, but largely you're going to see number eight, Mattel, uh, as the extra defensive end rather than a second defensive tackle. Unless Utah State's running the ball really well, I would guess you're going to see 
three edge rushers instead of two uh, tackles when they do four four down sets. Um, as for these guys on the defensive line, Noah Lavulo, Lavulo, it's a tough name to say. Noah Lavulo is also a uh, a, a player to to keep in mind. He doesn't play a ton, but he is here. He's a backup defensive end. He's going to be the first guy who comes in the game if Hall or Fajoko needs a break, essentially. And uh, that that has not been uncommon this year. They don't use him a ton, but he is he is worth knowing all the same, I think. This is a very good defensive line. This is one of the best defensive lines that Utah State will see this season. They average about 15 pressures per game. Uh, they are among the nation's best in total sacks at 12th and 4th in sacks per game. They've played one fewer game than most teams, so their their sack numbers are higher than 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 most are per game. They are very good at getting pressure. I wrote a film preview, whole film preview about their pressure packages, how they get to the quarterback, the different designs that they have, the way that they use this very experienced front for. Uh, really diverse blitz packages, really difficult things for an offensive line to deal with. They are very, very, very heavily reliant on uh, overload blitzes. They like to load up one side of the offensive line and attack that side with four, usually four uh, four rushers, three or four rushers, um, and then one or two on the backside. This is a five-man pressure defense, just like Utah State's. Uh, this is a five-man pressure defense. They will... Usually, when they want to send pressure, they will show six on the uh, on the line as as potential as potential pressure guys. But then they will drop one into coverage, and rush with five. Um, they have different. They have all sorts of packages. They will do stunts. They will do different things. Uh, read the film preview. The film preview will tell you more than I can in a uh, in a quick manner here. But they will send plenty of pressure. You will see a lot of it in this game at linebacker. <laughs> We've got a couple names, a couple guys to know, along with Matau, who is technically a linebacker, even if he usually lines up on the line with the uh, with the defensive lineman as an upright guy. Uh, Rico Tolfrey has been playing more in recent weeks. He is sort of a run-stuffing replacement as needed. Elijah Wood can play as more of a coverage guy, 6'3", 205. He has played some this season as well, but these two guys are both situational, um, as are, although less so, um, Brian Parham and Jordan Pollard, uh, who are the true coverage specialists of the linebackers. These guys basically play as safeties, as box safeties. They will split out into coverage as needed. They will handle slot assignments. They will handle man assignments. They will handle zone. They they will do largely coverage stuff. You'll see them in the box occasionally, but six and ten are mostly coverage guys. They are essentially nickelbacks or, or you know box safeties or whatever you want to call them within your defense. Um, San Jose State calls them linebackers, calls this a 3-4, but it's 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 pretty close to a 4-2-5, if I'm being honest. It's a variable 4-2-5, basically, uh, which which when I say that, I just mean their, their defensive line is nowhere near as rigid positionally as usual 4-2-5s are, and they can drop into a 3-2-6, they can drop into a 3-3-5, they can drop into a 3-4. They have a lot of things that they can do with the same personnel, essentially. These guys can play a lot of different formations with very slight alignment modifications essentially is 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 uh is how it works so uh the there's one group of linebackers here one linebacker specifically i've not yet mentioned kyle Harmon, six foot 225 graduate senior um if you don't know who he is i uh i don't know what to tell you he has been one of the best linebackers in america for four years now he is a this is his fifth year 
as a starter. Um, he is very good, very, very good player. He leads the team in tackles. He has done that for, I think, three years now, if memory serves, back to 2020, did it in 2021, and he's doing it again now in 2022. Uh, very very, very, very good player. Very good player. Extremely good tackler. They don't move him around a ton, but he is, I mean, he is the run defense, basically. He is the, he is the default run defense for this team. He is the guy who cleans up for the messes made on the front. He, he does a little bit of everything. He's just a, a supremely talented football player. Very, very, very important to what they do defensively. 45 is going to make an impact in this game. Um, cornerbacks. Kenyon Reed is the main the main one. He is the most important member of this secondary. He's a junior, six foot one eighty one. Or uh, rather I, I have I have mixed up the names here. Uh, sorry, I was I was I'm tracking the Utah State women's game as I'm recording this. Um, Nehemiah Shelton, graduate six two one eighty five, is the most important cornerback of this bunch. He's been very good. He is their top cornerback uh, Reed is number two. Reed is capable, but he's not quite as good as Shelton. You will also see Michael Dansby here, freshman who has played well, who has handled some time in the slot. Um, the cornerbacks are fine. They're not amazing. They are they are pretty good. They get the job done. The safeties are in the same boat. Trey Jenkins is back. He's a senior. He has been here forever. He is still good. Uh, and then Chase Williams has been a really good addition for this defensive backfield. They added him as a transfer from USC. He's fit really well. He's a hard hitter. He can step into the box. Everybody on this defense can play a lot of positions. Basically, if you are in the back eight of this defense, you can play any number of positions. The cornerbacks are pretty steady, but the linebackers will do a little bit of everything. The safeties will do a little bit of everything. The cornerbacks can move into the slot as needed. They can move into safety roles as needed. It's a very, very dynamic defense, and it is one that Cooper Lega is going to be very much tested by. How how good is his preparation? How ready is he for this game? It's going to be a really big test. It's, it's going to be very, very interesting to keep track of uh, how he is able to handle the the variability of this defense after the snap. They will show stuff before the snap that has nothing to do with what they do after the snap. They will drop guys into coverage who were lined up on the line of scrimmage to start. Pretty much every time they rush, they will do that. If, they, if they're blitzing, they're going to put six on the line and then drop one of them. Uh, sometimes they'll send six, sometimes they'll send four, but usually it's going to be five. And so Picking up quickly on the fly if it's man or zone is going to be important for Cooper Lega. Picking up if there's a stunt off the edge and that if there's going to be room to, you know, escape the pocket and get to the perimeter is going to be really important. He has been too fast at times in moving from the inside or moving from the pocket out of the pocket and looking to scramble. He has run himself into some sacks, run himself out of some open passes. He's held onto the ball too long at times. The, those instincts might not be as damaging here. The fact that he is trying so hard to make sure that he avoids the pass rush, that he is trying to avoid sacks, that he is uh, anxious in the pocket and, and, and you know has a, a keen sense of pressure, probably too keen a sense of pressure at this point, is it's not ideal. It's not, you know, if you could avoid it, you would. But in this game, it's probably better to be safe than sorry. And running around is going to be more beneficial at times than trying to find somebody open because... A lot of the times with the way San Jose State brings pressure, nobody's open by the time they get there. And and it's about the quarterback going and making a play. They force quarterbacks to make plays. 
some of them have the games that they've lost. The opposing quarterbacks have been able to make plays. Jalen Jalen Maiden for uh, San Diego State being a good example. Uh, Cooper Lagat has to be able to make plays in this game. He needs to take care of the ball. It's going to be important to throw. He'll need to be able to read the back end of the defense still, but it is not the end of the world if he's running around here. This is a good defense to try and run around on. As a quarterback, that is a, a good way to pick up free yardage, uh, whereas doing it with more structured plays can be difficult at times. It's a it's a good defense. It's a really good defense. It's a top 20 defense nationally. Um, I, uh, I really like this group. I think that they're very, very strong. So that will, uh, that will do it here for this preview. My, my prediction, I think I said on the site, was 31-28 for... San Jose State. Um, I might bump that down to 24-21 San Jose State just because it's, it's cold and it might be kind of hard to score today. And I don't think either of these offenses are in a great place right now. But I, I do think that it's a close win for San Jose State. It does not mean that I don't think Utah State can win. I think they totally could win. I think that if they play like they did against Air Force, they will win this game uh, offensively specifically. Um, but are they going to do that? I don't know. It has It has been on and off. There have been more not great offensive performances than there have been great offensive performances at this point. And so if I'm just playing the numbers, I'm going with San Jose State by three. But I think Utah State absolutely has a chance to win this game, get bowl eligible, and move forward into Boise State feeling pretty good about itself.